In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. You have indeed found No Persinium, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, and welcome to episode 413, geez, of our ongoing exploration of the immersive cosmos. This week on the show, we're taking a look at spooky season here in Los Angeles with members of the LA Review crew. That would be Kevin Gossett, our LA Reviews editor, NoPro Arts editor and Squirrel Mode practitioner Laura Hess, that'll make sense in a minute, and after years of being our roving correspondent, Martin Jimenez joins the podcast for the first time. Now, over on the site this week, you'll find a monster of a review rundown with 11 reviews, a feature-length review of the latest post-curious game, The Morrison Game Factory, which is now funny on Kickstarter. Spoiler alert, it hit its goal on day one is now just racking up the pre-orders. And a news hit about Particle Inc., which is coming back to Las Vegas to take up a residency at the Luxor. Plus, the call sheet has been updated with casting in L.A. and New York City, a big job at Apple, a major RFP in San Francisco, and an opportunity to work with NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab on telling stories to save the planet. That's what's up with this week. Now a quick note about next week. There will be no podcast and no rundown next week as I take my annual break starting this Sunday. So this Saturday will be the last newsletter for the month. But we have at least one and possibly more posts in our new coming soon and now playing series that are lined up so we won't be disappearing entirely. Thanks to Parker and Patrick for keeping the lights on while I take a little bit of time off and squeeze in going to a wedding and my CalArts class into it as well. Now, this is the... I keep on saying now today. I don't know why. Uh, Now, 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 right now, happening at this very moment, because I'm trying to remind myself to be here, uh, because maybe I've got vacation brain already. Uh, A quick update on the Patreon, because that's what we do at this time, uh, which is driving me a bit batty. That's the other thing that's that's getting to be his Patreon, because we're now just 16 paid members away from our spooky season goal of 450 but it won't tell me who joined or who came back on or converted from free member or whatever it's doing now. So I don't know who to thank. So thank you, loyal listener and backer, because without your support, I couldn't make the choices I do and dedicate myself to spreading the good word about immersive experiences around the world. Not hyperbole that. Now, if you've already, there's now again, if you've already gone to patreon.com slash no and shown your support, the best way to help is to share the podcast or one of the articles you found useful, like the call sheet, which lists professional opportunities and immersive and the rundown, which with all its reviews, those are both good options. 
Share those out on your social media platform of choice. We are always no proscenium, except on Insta and on threads, where we are no underscore proscenium. As always, big thanks to our sustaining backers, Samuel Mystery, Chris Woolman, Samantha Davison, Eric Shamlin, Elaine, Daryl, John Bullett, Cameo Wood, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentis, Kurt Collins, Winthorne, Ryan, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, Lecker LeCool, the Ministry of Peculiarities, and Jan Budman. And thanks to everyone who came out to the roguelike this past Monday for the LA meetup and the live taping of the podcast. It was great to see so many folks there. Also, we put a donation bucket out uh, on the Eventbrite, and that is really helping out this season. Uh, I, I, I'm like, oh, good. I think it would be okay till December, if not, if not through December. So uh, really, really wonderful. And thank you all for that support. And it's so good to see you. And uh, we're, we're going to aim to get in a quarterly cadence, both in New York City and in LA on the meetups. And uh, who knows? Maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll find a way to do some meetups in some other spots as well. We got some people in some places. All right. Uh, that's enough for this part. Uh, let's get into the show. And we are here with members of the Los Angeles and indeed the expanded uh, No Pro Review crew to talk about spooky season here in L.A. The original plan for this was to talk about spooky season all over the country, but uh, the East Coast crew uh, couldn't make it. And so you're stuck with Los Angeles, people. Uh, and maybe we'll also talk about a few things that we're looking forward to that are coming up soon. Joining us tonight, uh, or today, if you're listening to the day, uh, are Kevin Gossett, LA Reviews Editor. Hello, Kevin. Hey, how's it going, Noah? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's actually uh, kind of fun. Kind of fun. There's some fun stuff happening. Uh, our arts editor, Laura Hess. Hi. And joining us on the pod for the first time, but this is someone who's been writing for NoPro on and off for years and is often, even though he's based in L.A., is often writing uh, for us from cities we aren't ever in. And that would be <laughs> Martin Jimenez. Hello, Martin. Hey, how's it going? Going good. Um, all right. So uh, this is all about spooky season in L.A., of course, is the singular busiest time for immersive uh, in the year here in the Southland, we're going to be covering everything from like local, like, you know, grassroots haunts all the way to big shiny theme parks. So, or I guess greasy, grubby theme parks is really the, the truth of it all at this time of year. Um, we're going to start, uh, Laura and Kevin have both checked out something that I am intending to check out this year that I need to go do. And I hope to fit into my schedule. Uh, uh, that I'm that I'm finally deeply curious about, and that is Reign of Terror. Uh, Kevin, you live closest to Reign of Terror, so why don't you <laughs> tell us about what it is? Yeah, this is why I really I always appreciate this haunt because it is actually one of the closest things to me. It's uh, based out of Thousand Oaks, California, which is like a little bit north of Los Angeles, and it's been around for years and and years at this point. Um, it's kind of a staple, I think, in the haunt community of kind of haunted houses and haunted mazes in in Los Angeles and spooky season. And I think they've actually even started running stuff in like the off season. They had like, I think they redecorated some of the stuff for like Christmas last year. So um, again, spooky season just like becoming a year round thing here. So it 
is one of the longest probably like continuous haunts too. It's just like it goes and goes and goes. There's like 10 different themes that it runs through over the course of I don't know how many rooms. Laura, you just looked this up. Was it I like did. I have this. Yes, I have this handy just because Kevin and I were talking about it. So it's 130 rooms Ooh. across 28,000 square feet. Holy Hannah. All set up in tents and plywood? Like no, what's the physical? So this, this is one of the more interesting ones because it's part of the Jan's malls, which is just like an outdoor shopping mall. And they've taken over a lot of the kind of unused stores and shops and they just run through like a huge back end of this shopping mall, basically. If if we had video uh, for this pod, you would see my, my jaw just dropped because like for me, that's, that's the dream. So it's a haunted house and an abandoned shopping mall. Half active shopping mall. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. No one ever told me about that part. I need to go. That's my jam. I love a shopping mall. I love it being reused. Okay. So keep telling us about this one. So. Yeah, so it's kind of obviously I think most people's experience with haunted houses in the LA area comes from probably Knotts, Universal, kind of the big the big ones. And this one has like a lot more kind of like a lo-fi, not exactly like a home haunt vibe, but kind of in that direction where it's there's some like animatronics and it's kind of set up in this way that it's like it feels like it's not as polished as some of the bigger ones, but that lends mm. it a charm that I think some of the other ones don't have. And it's kind of it lets them do different things. And I think we'll get into this with Horror Nights where some of these other ones have are a lot more formulaic. This one plays a little bit and they can do different things that I because I feel they're not really trapped in like having to get so many people through. They do run a lot of people through. The wait can be like up to an hour um, mm. if you have the normal ticket. But they also are pretty good about spacing groups out. So you're going through maybe like six to eight people at a time through huge chunks of it. Occasionally you catch up but then they kind of, they wait, they're like little waiting rooms in between where they like have an actor doing some stuff and then sending you off in these smaller groups. So it keeps the flow nice and you're not like a conga line through it like some of the major ones. Oh, thank God. Because like nothing kills the vibe more than the conga line. Although I wish someone would make a conga line haunt intentionally, which would be very funny. So, and I don't know which, I don't know which crew would do that, but someone should get on that. <laughs> Laura, you're our resident scaredy cat um, <laughs> by, <laughs> by self-profession. How did you find Reign of Terror? Yeah. So um, the important preamble to this is I started leaning into spooky season, I would say in earnest last year. Mm -hmm. And I just decided like, I'm horrible with jump scares in general. I, I don't, I just don't, I'd done the willows, I think in 2019, but the, the whole, whether it's not universal, whether it is a little bit more um, uh, like reign of terror where it's not, it is it, Kevin saying, it's not like a home haunt, but there is this really charming, more uh, like less polished vibe. So Kevin can attest to this. I activate what I am now calling squirrel mode. So I go through the way that I cope with this when going through any of these horror mazes, because I am still really bad with jump scares. Um, this is a, apparently my innate defense mechanism, which obviously is a horrible choice. 
but I kind of turn into this like little crouching, bouncing sort of hands clasped, clasped together squirrel. Um, but what I found is that, um, and the, one of the reasons why I absolutely love Reign of Terror, uh, like kind of unexpectedly, because of what Kevin's saying, so the, the design and how this is just continuous for quite a long time. Um, and then because there are these like checkpoints and they're managing the flow and those checkpoints are in world. And um, because this is all stretched out a little bit more and you're not racing through, like we're going to talk about HHN. And I felt like I was just not because I was scared, but I feel like the the energy and the way it's managed and the, the need for throughput, you're just kind of racing through these mazes and then it's over. And in this case, you actually, because of the spaciousness, you get to interact a little bit more with the scare actors. And when I'm scared and I say apparently like really weird things, they then responded in really funny ways. And that is so much more interesting to me than just the more formulaic, especially for HHN, where it feels like it's just this very formulaic procedure and you know where the jump scares are and there it's just about like total shock and like volume and strobe and I really appreciated that um, Reign of Terror, they don't have a lot of the, um, I don't know if there's a proper term for this, but you know, the like car wash, like strips that will separate rooms. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and HHN leans so hard on that. And then, you know, there's going to be a jump scare on the other side of it. And I so hmm. appreciated that like, as Kevin and I were going through this, there were then even moments where we were kind of like chatting to each other. And then the scare actors might like jump in. It almost seemed like based on our flow of conversation, like it was just so much more of a rich experience. I was so delighted. So, so it sounds like it sounds like you, what you're saying there were like you guys were talking to each other and then maybe like the scare actor would insert themselves. It's like they're listening, they're paying attention. Mm-hmm. They're, obs- they're seeing you as much as you're seeing them. Yes. Oh, interesting. Yeah, there, yeah. There's actually now, one I, next year when you guys go, like I want to go with you because I want to see Laura go into squirrel mode and say funny. <laughs> squirrel mode is like, genuinely very funny. But yeah, there was like one yeah. point where, like, a character basically popped out of like a locker. Laura <laughs> said something, and then this character then popped back out of the locker to respond. <laughs> like it wasn't like part of like the, a scare. That was just like, oh, I can do like a funny thing, so I'm going to do it. Um, but that's kind of, yeah, that's what she's talking yeah. about. Like, kind of like, we'll respond to you a little bit more. We're like, Horror Nights, it's, it's like, it's scripted. They have their like beats and they're going to hit their buzzer and they're going to sound the strobe and the big noise and then they're going to move on. This one, it was, it's a little bit more playful. Yeah. It is. That's the perfect, I, I could not even think of that word. I was saying delightful, but that's the thing. It, it's playful. And I think, and again, I know we'll get into some of this other stuff more later, but like, what I'm realizing is somebody who is, who, who tends to have this sort of weird relationship with, with horror. What I love so much about like Haunted Hayride or about Reign of Terror is I feel like these really do speak to more the nostalgia factor that is the undercurrent of so much of spooky season in ways that we all really, really love. Like no matter where you come from or your family traditions, uh, how old you are, like I think that inherently there is something about 
I mean, really any major holiday where there's a, a kind of quality, there's a level of nostalgia that we're all seeking to tap into. And that playfulness that you get, that spaciousness that you get because it's not just about throughput and it's not just a formulaic mm -hmm. design, it's so much more satisfying. It's so much more memorable. Like it, it's a schlep. It's 40, Thousand Oaks is 40 miles from me. And I would happily go back to that over HHN any day. So you've brought up you've brought up Hayride a couple of times in the context of this, and uh, I'm I'm curious, you know your your experience, Laura. You're the only one of us who went this year. I went last year for the first time. I was sort of massively underwhelmed. I saw the potential, but then the actual Hayride itself, like, felt like they weren't even trying. So I was like, I, mm -hmm. and and even with like press access, I was like, oh, I don't want to take and it, press access and the fact that it is literally a mile away from me. And I could not be arsed to go this year. So Laura, oh, really? Laura, yeah. So Laura, how 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 was it for you? Well, to clarify, well, Martin, you also yeah, Martine is no, the no, one I, who's I, on. I went to Hayward this year. Yeah, oh, you went to Okay. Yeah. But I will say, since we both went last year, I loved the fact that they seemed like they weren't really trying with the hayride. To oh God, me, no! That Opposite. Actually, Oh my gosh. I thought that was so funny. I was laughing throughout the whole thing. And so again, oh. I think that it, it has to do more with like why you're, I just, I laughed. I thought it was. Uh, yeah. No, like, cause like I drive by that section of the five at night while it's running and there is like Roscoe fog spilling out onto the damn freeway and like almost causing an accident. And I'm like, like they're half-assing this thing. They're charging money for this thing. It's the upcharge, this part of the hayride. And like, like just, oh God. And, and yeah, sooner or later, someone's going to have a car accident over there that who, who did not, you know, get, who aren't even trying to get to the hayride. Right, well, Martin, you, the mazes are different than the, than the hayride, but yeah. Martin, I like the mazes. I actually, I thought the mazes, I thought the mazes were kind of fun. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, I had, but, but the hayride, it's the actual hayride, the titular hayride itself. I was so like, what is but, Martin, you went, you went to hayride this year. Yeah. I actually did it two nights ago and, uh, and, and I completely agree. It was like completely entirely underwhelming. I, I went and it was like, I, I have expected them to just start playing the David Pumpkins music while I went through something. Um, <laughs> it, it, it was like, you're going like, because like there's like, like a, a, a 15 second bit when you're going through something scary and then 30, a minute and a half while you're driving to the next thing in the hayride itself. Um, and and some of those animatronics, like these big animatronics things that are just, you see the mechanism and there's this, this like large, loud sound. And I guess I'm, I'm interested in, uh, I'm interested in how like ROT compares when it, because like they're using some of the same animatronics that you can buy commercially for, for these things, right? Because there's, there's a, there's a whole universe of trade shows that sell these, you know, various size pop-up scare animatronics that have these like built-in soundtracks. And it sounds like ROT uses a lot of those. And I know the Hayride does. Yeah. It, 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 it feels like a DIY version of like a guy in his garage making a, a DIY haunt in a public space. It feels like a, like a county cop-out 
like a county funding cop out of like, oh, we have the space and we should do this. So yeah. let us. And, and, see, and it's I weird. Is argue... It's not. It's not. It's not run by the county, right? It's leased out, right? They get rent money, but it's it's a commercial enterprise. Um. That being said, though, like like we all said, the mazes they have there were quite fantastic. Um, there, uh, they had three mazes there, and I did two out of the three. Um, one actually, they got some Hulu money that had Goosebumps overlay, so that was had had some quality to it and projection and all that. And I really appreciate the fact that, unlike say HHN, where all the mazes are covered and all that sort of stuff, this is all open air. Uh, their held their hillbilly Halloween was able to use this large space and use some of the space of that park uh, where you have like actual like hay and it's the old zoo. So you can actually make you use the space in a natural way. And it made it kind of amazing and really fun. And then they were able to build some small structures to give you a good sense. Um, And yeah, the characters in the mazes were far better than the characters at the hayride where they just, and I will also add, I was there at the end of the night when they were all tired and wiped out. So they were like, boo. Um, so that was <laughs> yeah. uh, but at the same time, it was, th- there was something charming about it, about how, again, it, it feels a little more handmade than the corporate behemoth that is HHN or... Not so. At some point, I got to see Fright Fest at Six Flags because my buddy designs that stuff. Um, you don't, you don't but, need to see Fright Fest at Six Flags. <laughs> 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 my my buddy would get my buddy Zach would give me shit. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, there's there's something charming about that. Um, but given the choice of other options, I'd still want to do other options. All right. Well, it's come up multiple times. Uh, Halloween Horror Nights, Universal, the the big one, perhaps in some ways the biggest one. Knots, of course, is at its 50th. I'll, I'll talk about Knots because I'm the only one who went to Knots this year. But, you know, HHN uh, is in some ways the premier theme park haunt uh, in large part because Universal does a version of this all over the world. Orlando, Tokyo, Singapore even, uh, which I didn't realize until I was going to Singapore. Uh, let Kevin, you took the review for us this year. So why don't you lead this conversation off? And, and I know the other two saw it as well. So the floor is all you, yours, y'all. Yeah. So this is, like you said, kind of probably the premier event in Southern California of the haunts. Um, it's pretty expensive. I think if you want to enjoy the event, properly. And this is something I touched on a lot in the piece I wrote where really the event doesn't function unless you buy the, uh, the express pass and can jump to the front of the line because the lines at Horror Nights quickly are like in the 60 minute, if not the 120 minute plus range for most of their mazes. And especially the big properties like Stranger Things, Last of Us, kind of the, the ones I think people really want to like get into or that are based off like the popular IP from recent years um, are really long waits. Uh, and this was compounded by some other things they they did this year too, where usually they had like an early entry system where they'd let people in 530. It was just to like kind of spread people out to the parking, get them down to the lower lot where usually a good chunk of their mazes are. This year they made mm. you pay for it. It was oh, a wow. nominal fee, but it was still extra money on top of 
a pretty expensive ticket. And I think maybe if you had the express pass and could jump to the front line, it mattered a little bit less, but it, it seemed to like condense a lot of people into a pretty small space, which doesn't make for a very enjoyable experience in terms of just like getting into the park and getting to the mazes. And I feel like I kind of want to separate those as it seems like maybe a business decision by universal and the kind of the creative on the mazes, I think is actually quite good and really kind of does service these IPs and lets people step into them. And I think are you suggesting that business decisions uh, impact the quality of the creative even though the creative is very good and like, maybe maybe. (laughs) that can't be true. That can't be true. You can't. And yeah, and that was, that was kind of the experience is like when you're in the maze, it's, it's fun, but it's like some of this, like moving around and getting through the crowds and like the way they had things structured this year and how busy it was made for kind of a weird experience. There's like, you, you think about how much you're kind of bumping up against the, the structures that the kind of corporate entity that puts this on put in place. Yeah. There's, there's something to be said about how throughout the theme park industry, like it feels like it's a real feast or famine all the time. Either the locations are overcrowded and there's too many people and there's too many people with annual passes and there's, there's everyone trying to do everything and it becomes a miserable experience or it's crickets. There's no one around and the, the parks can't sustain themselves. And there seems to be like almost no happy medium. Martin. One thing about this, uh, like I think this year and last year, uh, like pre-pandemic, the Horror Nights actually was able to use a lot in the back lot um, and have like three or four mazes in the back lot, like well away from everything else, which I think alleviated the pressure because to get to some of those mazes back there, it was a quarter mile walk. Like mm-hmm. from hike, hike even. What? I yeah. said hike even. You're you're going far when those ones are open. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but that also spreads out everything. But the way that they've been, they've been doing it in the past couple of years by having stuff aisle either at the lower lot where you have three or four mazes right there at those sound stages, upper lot at their normal spots, and maybe a couple behind Waterworld. And the fact that they lost the Waterworld queue area this year because of the purge. Uh, stunt show in Waterworld, uh, which put a pin in that conversation. Um, it, it sort of like re- redid the calculus of how you fit everything in there. So yeah, I agree. Like the, the, the amount of humanity was just um, unpleasant to uh, get through. Laura? <laughs> Laura? Yeah, I want to piggyback off of that because I actually think, again, this is something that Kevin and I were talking about in relationship to Reign of Terror. So, you know, in, in the industry, I mean, there's so much focus on like, okay, this is the attention economy and we're designing for attention. And that's absolutely true. Many, many people have cited that. And this is something where for someone like me, it does require a lot of attention. Uh, it requires a lot of energy to do these walks in between. I mean, there are sections like the lower lot where there's pretty intense concentration, but then you actually wind up having crowd bottlenecks and that can be, you know, that's a thing to navigate. But Mm. these spaces, you know, the, the, the whole experience for me is so sandbagged 
by its size and scope. So the parking process, then actually getting into the park and the distance between. So for me, actually, again, like we had to wait, Kevin and I had time tickets. We didn't do the, uh, like, uh, you know, immediate access pass for reign of terror. So we're standing in line for like about an hour, but overall, like the, the amount of time that I felt like was just lost time or, or open space at HHN. Again, for me, I'm kind of, when you go through the mazes that fast, I really do feel like you're kind of racing through. Um, it just feels like so much. And even with an express pass, it feels like so much of the experience is just kind of walking around. And that's the nature of these massive theme parks, of course. But I do think it's a, it's an important um, part of the equation to talk about not just attention and focus and where you want to put that into the actual experience of the mazes, but that it's just an incredible amount of time that winds up feeling, I think, rather empty in between. Let me push back on that for a hot second, because another aspect of HHN, which is like, uh, I, I trust NOS does this as well, the scare zones can actually help activate some of that walk in between the spaces. And one of the things which I really appreciate they've done the past two years is the Death Eaters scare zone through the uh, Hogwarts area, Hogwarts area, right? Which actually, I think, really smartly activated part of that space. So in that transitionary space from walking around, uh, just walking from maze to maze, you at least have some interaction and some more activity in you, which is yeah, not but even thing. that you're having to pull over, you know, into the Hogwarts area. I mean, I thought that was great as well. Like that was actually one of my favorite things. But I do think, like, with the volume, back to what Noah was saying, with the volume of crowds, uh, this, you know, the scare actors that are sort of just running through the park, uh, or like giant, you know, puppets on stilts. I mean, there there are other things happening. It still, to me, is it just was much more memorable because I did both HHN and Reign of Terror this year. And for me, it was so much more delightful to go through Reign of Terror as this one sustained experience, which is shorter overall, but it's Mm. not interrupted with these lengthy walks and trying to navigate the crowds. And so I think it's, it's an, it's a, um, you know, it's a trade-off depending upon what someone is going for. And in my case, I'd much rather have the playfulness shorter duration, but sustained experience of Reign of Terror than what kind of feels watered down in a way with HHN because you're through the mazes so fast. The great thing, Martine, about what you're saying with the um, Dementors, you could linger. You could move at your own pace. You could take it in if you wanted to take photos, if you wanted to interact a little bit. So, and you can't do that in the mazes. Yeah. Well, Putting the logistics aside for a second, and even, even maybe some of the pacing logistics, just just for, I don't know. I mean, that's definitely part of it. But like, just 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 for sake of argument, devil's advocate, Kevin, why don't you lead us into the creative this year? Because there were a lot of mazes, and I don't want to go blow by blow through all of them. But like, oh, give us like two two things that were stand out for you, and maybe one thing that was a dud, if there were any duds. Yeah, sure. So um, a lot of a lot of mazes this year. I think 
like eight or something plus the Terratram, which was based on I don't remember what the IP was this year. It was an exterminators, I think. Like oh yeah, it was exterminators. Yeah. Which was actually it was charming. That was actually one of the best like makeup sections of the park in terms of like the costuming that they had on the actors and characters in those sections. Like oh like there was like work put in here and they looked really cool. Mm. Other stuff. Um, I think the standout maze for me was Monstruos, the Monsters of Latin America. This is one that wasn't based on any IP. But I've found when Horror Nights actually goes into kind of their own original stuff, and especially this one where they usually try to dive into kind of Mexican or Latin American horror and folklore, you end up with interesting mazes. La Llorona has been a standout in the past years, and this one touched on three creatures or kind of folklore monsters that I had literally never heard of, and I don't know how to pronounce any of them. Um, But that one was really cool. Chucky, uh, I would say, was actually kind of interesting if it's their kind of like funny maze that they have periodically where it's like a little bit more comedy based and they had actually a lot of Chucky puppets, uh, which is different from like normally like the characters they have. Um, so that one was cool. And then I think Laura had a different opinion than the last of us, but I actually appreciate that they tried to tell a story and they had characters representing Joel and Ellie kind of pop up throughout the maze. And I always appreciate when Horror Nights does something a little bit different because usually it's so kind of, everything feels the same. And once you've been through one, you kind of get the, the kind of pulse of how their mazes work. Laura, you, you had a disagreement on last of us. So when we, when we go to start with that for you and then scroll through what you might've enjoyed, if anything. Yeah, no, I know. I, I really like, again, I, 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 I think scroll mode has helped me like tap into like I really am enjoying this process even if there's things that I realize like okay this doesn't resonate with me but I'm 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 a spooky season convert I don't think I'll drop squirrel mode anytime soon um <laughs> I agree with Kevin well okay so uh yeah I agree with Kevin about last of us in terms of them trying to incorporate a little bit narrative overlay and my complaint is that they didn't do that enough and so in between mm. I felt like it's all clickers and it might be clickers in different stages. I forget all the names that they have when they're in different states of, of fungal overtake. But um, to me, there was it was just kind of desert in between. And so there might actually be big mm. stretches where there, there weren't any jump scares. There weren't any scare actors. But in between these moments with um, Ellie and Joel you just had, if you did have a jump scare, if you did have an actor pop up, it was just a, a different kind of clicker. So I felt like it was sort of one note in that regard. And I also am yes ending Kevin on the IP element. I My favorite mazes uh, were Monstrous and um, uh, Kevin, I keep forgetting, Holidays from Hell. What is it? Holidays in Hell, but yeah. Well, yeah, Holidays in Hell. So I actually feel like there's again a different kind of like playfulness in terms of the actors and the um, freedom with which they can kind of stretch things when it's not just so rigidly an IP. And I just felt like it was more it was more interesting. I'm a huge Stranger Things fan. And I thought the maze was technically like it was well executed as an homage to Stranger Things or as an embodiment of Stranger Things. But again, I just felt like it was all about major volume 
it's on a sound stage, sound bleed is an issue. So it feels like volume is just turned way up to combat that and that that mm. is a scare tactic in and of itself. And then it's about momentum. It's really like kind of rushing through. So I think I would have enjoyed of the IP mazes, I would have enjoyed that more if it could just be slowed down a little bit. Martine, how about you? Um, yeah, I, I, I have to agree on the, what I really appreciated was the um, Latin American one, Monstrous, like that, uh, and, and the Terror Tribe itself, because the fact because the fact that those weren't IP based, right? And I think that they, that I'm, I'm going to piggyback on all that. We, how we all love the lack of IP um, because it forces greater creativity on, on things. Um, and also moving that night forces greater creativity, greater creativity, but like doesn't have the shackles of staying true to the brand and whatever the brand manager comes in is like, Oh, you can't have that happen. So like, they just have, they have the freedom to like do whatever the hell they want. Of course. And, uh, but then after the terror tram, they kept after the, uh, uh, exterminator bit, then you got to go through, uh, Jupiter's claim and they still kept that bit from the mashup of all the, um, what's his face? Uh, Jordan, Jordan Peele. Peele. Uh, which is, which is, so, like, that's also a fantastic and lovely thing to do. Um, what I also appreciated, did, did y'all do the uh, uh, Five Nights at Freddy, the, the, the Bloomhouse movie thing in the Dream No, I thought it was just, like, going to show trailers, but I've heard it is actually more interesting. Yeah, it, it actually was, it, because it, it becomes, like, an activation of Megan all of a sudden, where you're there, and then all of a sudden they... <laughs> Um, lights go out. They come back out, and it's it. You, they're they're surrounding you, and dance number of in Megan choreography. So um, was that right? Was that the right name? I can't remember the. I'm, yeah, I, I think it's Megan. I don't think it's Megan. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't seen it's that. Megan. I wanted yeah. I wanted to see it, and then I didn't see it. Now I still haven't seen it. It happens to me in yeah. horror movies all the time. I was like, well, I should see this, and then I don't see it. I'm like, oh, let me see. And, and and again, to go back to Laura and I's for previous point about throughput and, and 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 that the fact that both Waterworld becoming the purge and that took away since they took away Jabberwockies as their not scare truly scary thing, which was a theater show which they could fit three thousand people into ease traffic, now that you had two theater ish uh, attractions which could easily bring out bring a lot of people but also tell different and interesting stories like seeing the purge in Waterworld was quite fascinating i wish because it just became like the Waterworld show with a lot of lasers and edm music sometimes <laughs> uh like like you you wish they they did a little more set dressing there but at the same time it was cool to see the Waterworld stage pitch black and lasers it was way bloodier than I expected too. There's a lot of fake yeah. blood in that show. Yeah. Well, you know, easy to clean up on the Waterworld stage. Yeah. Uh, you know, got that. You have that advantage of uh, of a big pool when all else fails. Um, all right. Well, it sounds like we've beaten HHN maybe to death. 
Um, I'll I'll do a really quick rundown on knots because then none of the rest of you uh, went and did that, uh, and then we're gonna we're gonna roll into the willows and fangs uh, where Laura is gonna gonna have the floor. Um, so, oh God, knots this year was it? I'm gonna get this wrong. I think it's like ten mazes. There's a whole bunch of returning ones. Uh, and three new ones, uh, which is how I think they, they hit like the most they've had in a long time. Plus uh, the scare zones. And I mean, scare zones are a big part of knots uh, like, you know, the, the thousand monsters running through uh, the streets. It's a really, really big part of, of the whole deal. And because this was the 50th anniversary, they decided to take some risks uh, and some of them paid off and they have, some things that like I didn't entirely get, uh, mostly because we didn't buy one. They have this lantern this year that can activate in certain spots and like changes colors or can kind of like the Harry Potter wands or your phone in Galaxy's Edge activate certain elements of, of the space. There are, of course, a number of uh, stage shows, one of and because it's the 50th anniversary, almost everything's about bringing old things back. Uh, so one of the stage shows that's brought back is The Hanging, which I did not go see, although I, I did wind up watching online later. I watched someone's video of The Hanging like late one night, and I was like, oh, huh, so that's what this is, uh, which is this stunt show that has a lot of like, you know, just like deliberately offensive jokes, like, like intentionally offensive, um, you know, written for you know, that crowd. Uh, like let's make fun of all the social justice people. Like that is, that is the whole shtick with this, with that thing. Um, but is also like this big stunt show. And then the other one I think was called monster music, Monsters and Mayhem or Music, Mayhem and Monsters. Uh, and it was this uh, kind of sexy stage review uh, with monsters involving uh, the, the host going through a bunch of different host personas from the 50 years of Knots. And it was a very ribald uh, show that actually after opening weekend uh, cut some, some jokes. Uh, and in fact, it became the target of the infamous libs of TikTok which is the uh, conservative actress, uh, actress, uh, activist Chaya, whatever her last name is, uh, who's often sending people uh, on these campaigns against uh, hospitals that do transgender care or politicians and whatnot. And uh, there was there was there was some PG thirteen sex jokes in this thing in a show that is explicitly singled out as not being for kids. Uh, that they decided to go and attack. And that actually caused me, again, I skip those shows while I'm there because there's so many mazes. Uh, it caused me to watch some of that stuff online. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's late night potty humor. You know, it's like, there you go. It's like a cabaret show with some, I don't know, dumb sexuality to it. You know, it's not, it's not sophisticated. It's like, it's PG-13 because it's 14-year-old humor, right? You know, like that's that's the target there. That said, all of that squared away, because in some ways, culturally, that's the most significant stuff that's happening at Knott's this year in the macro sense. Um, in terms of the mazes, a few of them that are up for the chopping block uh, next year, because Knott's usually cycles out two mazes and brings two mazes in, uh, seem to be given a lot of TLC. The Depths, which is this shark uh, theme, well, this underwater themed maze, which has like a big shark at the end, because the whole gag with Knott's tends to be 
you go through, there's a lot of scenes, there's a few scare actors, a few attempted jump scares, but like, you know, only a couple of them are actually effective. Lots of gore. And then at the end, there'll be some big animatronic thing that is like the big thematic uh, monster of the maze, right? Like, and that is pretty much a not like the formula for every knots maze. Uh, and once in a while subverted in a way that is fun and usually just like, nah, that's just what it is. So there's a shark at the end of the depths, but I felt like they, there was a lot of TLC given to the depths this year, like a few things that felt enhanced. And so I was just really feeling the mood. Um, the same thing was true with um, Dark Entities, which is sort of the, the uh, serial numbers filed off aliens bit. Uh, that one, again, they just seem to be giving some TLC. And these are older mazes that are in the, uh, the backlot part of, of Knots. Um, last year's Bloodlines, which was this interactive vampire shoot 'em up thing, they took away all the guns um, and, and turned it into something you could get through a lot faster. Like the guns weren't, they were working technically, but like the, the flow of trying to like shoot vampires uh, in a laser tag setup, just it wasn't very fun. And while the, the steampunk vampire aesthetics are cool of it, it without the guns at the same time, it just feels sort of pointless. There are scenes where the text is telling you, shoot out the windows. And it's like, you don't have anything to shoot the windows out with. Uh, so just really silly. And I just feel like, like they need to rethink on that one. Like maybe keep the aesthetics, but change the idea behind it. Oh, wait, um, that's so awkward. So they took away the guns, but didn't update yeah. the ways that the... Oh, yeah, that's so... Okay. It's just weird. It's weird. I know that someone someone, someone in the community was like, oh, like, I disagree with Noah's take on Bloodlines, but I'm I'm kind of like, what? what is it about you? I mean, I assume it's the aesthetics, right? It's like, I guess you love the aesthetics so much because, like, the bit where you walk in and, like, the master vampire is being restrained by other actors and they're saying, shoot out the, shoot out the windows. And you're like, with what, with what am I supposed to shoot out the windows with? Um, and like, there's, there's one little bit at the beginning of that maze where the, the area where you're supposed to pick up your guns from the year before has been completely demolished and destroyed and turned into rubble. And like, that's clever and cute, but then everything else is pretty much the same. So it's just kind of awkward and weird. Um, I'll fast forward through getting to the new stuff, uh, because pretty much everything is, that's the same is the same. Um, there is a, uh, chilling, one of the mazes called the chilling chambers, uh, which is a sort of history of Nazis, various mazes. Um, and it, uh, that was probably the, the most conga line experience I had of the night, I think I would have enjoyed it more if I was able to linger a little bit more in that space to start to understand. They had these kind of cool, weird stained glass video windows. So you'd, you'd come up to one of the sections and there'd be this stained glass image of the original Knots host uh, or a caricature of him that would then kind of come to life in video form, still animated uh, in, in a very stylized way. And he had a little spiel that would be about what you were about to experience. But because of the conga line, you couldn't really stick around and listen and find out what it was you're about to experience. So the context was lost on me because I've only been going for three years. And that, um, that I thought was kind of a, a little bit unfortunate. There were some really cool aesthetics going through there. And I got to imagine if you're someone who's been going to knots for 
you know, 10 years or longer, that maze must be incredible to get some nostalgia hits. And just sort of the 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 meta narrative of knots of there being like these hosts, you know, who like sort of like control the haunted vaults of like all these different monsters. And then there's the green witch who's like the big bad of like the entire park. Like it's actually really, I love it. So I just, I love that all that conceit that goes in there. Um, my biggest disappointment was the maze I was most looking forward to, which was room 13, which is this 1920s uh, bootleg flapper themed space that's based off the goring 20s scare zone, which I've been loving for ages and that was really anticipating them finally making a proper maze. And while the aesthetics are on point and it's really cool in that you enter into the sort of speakeasy in like the back door of uh, the... Uh, of the arcade and it's like exposed brick and it all feels really kind of real and true. It falls prey to what I feel is Knotts's weakness, which is what I call uh, time to corpse, uh, which is how soon can we get a corpse, just a hacked up piece of meat in front of the audience? Uh, because that's what they really want to see is chunky, chunky bodies. And given that the story of Room 13 is that uh, there's basically uh, an, a poisoned hooch uh, that's green. So someone, like, someone done poisoned the, the, the absinthe um, and is turning everyone into monsters. Great idea that green is the color of dark evil magic in knots, even better. So I was hoping for some you know, I was hoping for more story out of this. And what I got were a few rooms, uh, like some hotel rooms, 1920 style, a couple of interesting visual gags, and just some some lackluster performances from the scare actors when we went through. Uh, it is always dependent upon what shift you're on. Uh, because sometimes you can go through a maze and you get nothing. And sometimes you can go through a maze and get get people on point. I felt that there was a lot of people super on point on some of the older mazes this year. Um, the last one I want to talk about is the one that by temperament, I would probably be the least into and yet was singularly worth the price of admission, worth the time going down and, and calls to me still. And that is cinema slasher, which took over the spot of, uh, formerly held by dark ride, which was, uh, a lovely one that was all about a carnival ride gone bad. This one is all about walking into different horror movies. There is this fictional horror movie series that they have created. You, you walk into the building, there are these posters for this movie series. And then the next thing you do, you turn a corner, you're in the movie theater lobby, there's popcorn spilled everywhere, the heavy scent of popcorn and butter, and then the black lights will come on and uh, show you all the hidden stuff going on, including on the, the popcorn seller, movie theater manager guy who's got you know corpse paint on. And then you you walk into the first screening room and yes, corpse, time to corpse is about you know, 75 seconds, but it makes sense because it's a slasher film setup. But more importantly than like corpse or murderer standing in the screening room, 
there is a movie playing on a real silver screen. It is the movie you are about to walk into because the silver screen has a slash down the center of it. And you walk into the movie which, and you're seeing this like sorority slasher film is playing on the loop and you walk through the screen and here you are on the set of a sorority slasher film. And they have some absolutely incredible mannequins that there's one that at first I thought was an actor and it wasn't. And then you've got the actors playing the slasher who are maybe a little too into it, but are like really just going to town on like the, the sorority mannequins in a way that was genuinely disturbing for a second. And then you find yourself kind of back behind through the walls and kind of in the back film canister area of, of the movie theater and then back into another screening room again, walking through the screen. The movies they're showing actually look kind of interesting. It's stuff that either they've had before or material that they've just shot just for this. And they go through um, three different uh, horror film scenarios. And as you go through the scenarios, it also feels like the slasher character who, who's played by different actors as you go along, that their visage, like kind of like the way Jason's mask deteriorates over the course of the Friday the 13th series, so too does the mask of this kind of Michael Myers slash I know what you did last summer slash Freddy type figure. So just incredibly well thought out, you know, tells a story while still just letting you pass through, you're absorbing it on the environment, and indeed ends with a big knots animatronic, but maybe the best working and most thematically interesting, clever one they've done so far. I don't even want to spoil it. It's just a really nifty last visual gag. And yeah, like my one great regret of that night is that I was too exhausted by the end of going through 10 mazes that I, I didn't have the energy to go back into Cinema Slasher again. But an absolutely spectacular, spectacular bit of themed entertainment, environmental storytelling. And, uh, and I encourage everyone, if you get a chance, go. I love that time to corpse is a new unit of measurement in the evaluation process. Yes, yes. Uh, and that's sort of based off of what they did to my beloved Mesmer, uh, which is uh, the, was a new maze the first time I went, which was very clever and very cool and had this whole like creepy sideshow vibe and opened with this scene where a mesmerist was like manipulating, you know, like his assistant and like was like, gather around, gather around. Let me show you what happens when I inflict my powers upon you. And the very next year, all of that was gone and there was just a big pile of corpses. And so, um, yeah, time to corpse. Uh, it is. It is a is a knots signature. Uh, and and in some ways, I'm curious if HHN what what the baseline time to corpse of HHN is. I'm trying to think it through. It might be shorter than 45 seconds by a yeah. good amount. Yeah. <laughs> how how fast can you get to just a a hunk of meat hanging from a meat hook, right? And like, and and look. That happens very quickly in cinema slasher, but it feels right because it's slasher movies. But you get a different theme, and I'm like, oh, maybe don't just have a big hunk of meat. Like, maybe build – this is the problem for me. They don't bother to build tension. They yeah. just want to get to the gore. I want to be 
I actually want to be freaked out. I want things to just ratchet, ratchet, ratchet slowly and then burst forward with something maybe truly disturbing. Well, right? this is something that Ted and I were talking about after Reign of Terror because there was a moment during one of these like checkpoints with like crowd control. And again, I think they do that really well. They try to do it as in-world as possible. But I thought we were going to be like crossing a more open space based on what the uh, performer, what the staff person was saying to like the group in front of us Mm. and i got really excited and so but you're you're not you're you're it's not as tight as the much smaller maze corridors so it is a little bit more open and they just i think want to provide that specificity but Mm. afterwards kevin and i were talking about like the, the very specific kind of tension from open spaces and moving slowly i was thinking about the scene from the shining with in the bathroom and 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 the, the the idea of this shower curtain being very slowly moved back, and how absolutely terrifying that scene is, mm. uh, and the the slow movement of this, you know, creature, ghost, person, you're not you know standing up, and and so I would love to see space played with more in terms of slow tension and building in that way because that can be so it's not just about popping out of nowhere it can be that something is visible yeah about a slow build where where do you go what do you do it does introduce different potential like liability issues i get that it has to be structured i think you could do it like i've seen it done really well this is reminding me of going the one year when on the warner's lot they made they did horror made here. And one of the things was you took a little tram over to an area they had set up as Camp Crystal Lake. And they had the Friday the thirteenth walking around the lake. So it was all outdoors and you had various scare actors playing Jason and all these campers running out of buildings and like screaming, getting like captured by jason and jason just stalking you know methodically across and it was incredible and super nerve-wracking and just you were it was dark in the woods and you had a path to go along i want that yeah yeah you'd see him coming in the distance he was getting closer and you just freak the f out and want to go around we went back like you had a little tram ride out and we were like we 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 came around did a bunch of others and we're like should we go back to Cramp Castle Lake? And we did, right? And it was just, it was so, some of that stuff has burned into my brain permanently. It was so good. Martine. And, and the thing is like describing this, like while not a, a, a scary thing, it reminds me of a piece I saw at the Prague Crowd Rennial years ago, which you had us going through like a parking garage where clearly like a murder had happened. And mm. you're walking, like, and, and you're guided through by what, you have to held the cell phone. And there, there's, pre-recorded content driving you through and then you would just get to this environment uh where there would be like a bunch of like soccer balls all through the parking garage and you had to like walk like just follow on your phone you'd watch the scary content on your phone but then you would just be in this space and be freaked out yeah like because you they had no characters but, well, but that's also like when you go to some place that they say is like an actual haunted house, and you get a little freaked out because, like, or like a murder house, you're like, oh, like you know, someone was killed horribly here, and your brain just starts filling in the details, right? You know, like it can be completely empty; there can be no scenic done to it, and you can you can scare yourself senseless, right? 
Yeah, it's that Blair so Witch good. effect of withholding the visuals. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay, I, I wax long on knots. We've, well, we've all waxed long on everything, but like that's the nature of us. Uh, Laura, take us into this a double hit here of uh, the willows and fangs, and then because you're still going to go to Angel of Light, we might actually like let you run away uh, and 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 pause yeah, things roll away. before we before we. Uh, right, yeah, I'll, no, I'll, I'll scroll away. Like, yeah, yeah. I'd love that because I don't want to. I mean, I've certainly like read the review and it's not that I have no sense, but yeah, I'll squirrel away. Um, I think, um, I just think one of the things that's interesting about, especially as we're talking about these different ways to build tension and the, uh, you know, the space, the space and the venue and how things are set. Um, I think the willows and fangs are two really good examples, uh, in different ways. And I had gone to the will I, again, it was either 2018 or 2019. So a bit of a gap went back this year. And I think it's a fantastic example of you have this extraordinary venue. You have this, you know, old mansion in Los Angeles. I don't actually know the, it's not West Adams, but it's, it's near there. Out that way. Yeah. Yeah. So you, the, the, it just feels like, even standing outside, even as you're checking in to the experience, it really feels like you're somewhere else. And I think that they utilize the venue to an extraordinary degree, but it doesn't do all of the heavy lifting. Mm. And I so appreciate that. I, like I said, it had been a little while. So there were certain things I was texting Kevin afterwards and I was like, wait, I don't remember. Is this different? Was this the same the first time? Um, so a, I loved that there were things that I was able to discover anew, or there's all these nuances that are shifting. The experience is, is it has a sound structure, but of course there's all of these nuances and improvisations that are happening. And there were definitely like one-on-ones that I didn't have the first time. So that part was delightful. Um, seeing some new actors, seeing some actors, uh, that were in it the last time I went. That mix was really great. Um, I also want to give a shout out to, uh, I actually don't know which actor was performing um, Uncle Ricky the night that I went. And um, I am still masking indoors. And so there is the, the whole dinner service, which is a bit more expanded since the last time I went. And so I wasn't removing my mask. I wasn't eating. Um, but I was sitting there and participating and enjoying myself very much. But as they're coming around and still asking me, did I want salad? Would I like some wine? I really appreciated that this actor who was just sitting immediately next to me made it an in-world element and, and didn't acknowledge the mask in any way, didn't explicitly acknowledge COVID in any way, but said, is your stomach kind of bothering you, you know, just, just oh, nice. and, and, and sort of reference the emotional turmoil of, of the event and why we were there um, within the narrative. And it was such a subtle, beautiful way to take the focus off of the, the mask and that I wasn't taking that off, but to also acknowledge that I wasn't eating. And yeah, I gave you gave you an alibi for your behavior. That's that's exactly. that's a nice touch. That's a much better it's way sort to of, put 
we sort of jumped into, you know, un, I, I would say like, unlike HHN and not towards like, it's a maze, it's a maze. Could you just give us like the, the, the four line explanation of what the willows is? Cause we've like jumped in without explaining that a little bit. Oh yeah. For people that haven't done it, I guess I feel like I think of the willows as such like an integral part of the Los Angeles spooky season fabric. I kind of think of it as its own institution. Uh, So you're going to, again, this historical home, and it is a home um, of a family named the Willows. And I'm trying to remember exactly what the the preamble is, but you, no, you should probably do this, but you, it is immersive theater. Yeah, I can. I mean, I can. Give, I can give the. I can give the pieces real quick. Uh, so the idea here is that you are friends of Jonathan, uh, who is sort of maybe the most public facing uh, member of the Willows, and Jonathan recently passed, and this is a remembrance of Jonathan, and you've all been invited uh, and to to remember Jonathan uh, along with the rest of the family. And then what sort of proceeds uh, is there's a little cocktail reception, and then you all come to dinner. Uh, and over the cocktail reception and up to dinner, you start to in- get introduced to various members of the family, including uh, the pa- the matriarch of the family. I know this is patriarch because uh, they're such an imposing figure. And that is Rosemary, uh, who's uh, the, the, the matriarch of the clan. Uh, and you quickly see that this this family is, you know, very, very messed up in all kinds of ways. And it has the vibe of like indie horror, almost like a A24 take on the Adams family is like, I want to say, because you've got these, you've got these, yeah, you've got these kooky characters who are kind of like, you know, the, the daughter who's like in her twenties, but didn't grow up. And, the and the, the, you know, you know, cross-dressing uncle and, and just all these, all these different like things going on. And, and, and I said cross-dressing advisedly. There's like, that, that is specific. I'm not yeah. doing this. Like that, that is what, it, that is what's happening in this particular case. And you just get, you wind up on these different tracks and you get these different threads. You start to understand how things are messed up here and maybe and maybe what's going on but it's never truly clear exactly what's happening or only at the end to figure out why you are there and that's something that's caused like the, the kind of mixture of tracks and hangout vibes and dinner uh has turned this into a show that some people go to multiple times a year uh in when it's in season even though the tickets now are like $200 a throw uh, it's got some pretty hardcore fans. So, Laura, um, and I will say also, yeah. it it does. Um, there, there's a lengthy period of time, though. Even though you've been instructed to come celebrate Jonathan, there is this sort of strange period of time where you're like, wait, does the family know why we're here? Like, there's a disconnect in terms of how the family is acting about why you're there. And I think that that's a really interesting, again, as we're talking about tension and building and the way that they're acting and, and, and how they position the reveal of kind of confirmation of why you're there is a yeah. different kind of tension that I think is not always utilized. Yeah, it's, it's, it, there's many a deliberately uncomfortable moment in that show. That said, this was your second time through. Did you enjoy yourself again? I loved it. I enjoyed it 
so and it is i mean with fees it's about 225 and spooky season is it can get really expensive here so i do think like that's it's getting if they raise prices again i don't know that i'll be back but i would love to go back i thought that this was i loved it even more the second time and you caught another show that the rest of us didn't catch and sort of in, in your mind paired these up in terms of how they were using their spaces. And that'd be Fangs, which you caught out at Heritage Square Museum before it moved over to the mausoleum in uh, Alta Vista. Uh, give us give us again the three lines set up for this show because it's a piece of immersive theater as well and not us, uh, the, the spooky season maze. It's uh, so it's a um, vampire show. Um, it is. I mean, it's it's utilizing you know vam- vampire folklore. It was set at the Heritage Square Museum, which is an open air architecture museum, and it has these amazing Victorian homes from different years. And um, so again, like an incredible venue. Um, and you're following the tale of this like village. Uh, and there's this very sort of like midsummer uh, kind of annual ritual and how it affects the families and how the families are being uh, coerced into basically sacrificing their daughters. It, this is an example of, I think, again, where you're, you've got an amazing venue and leaning too hard on the venue. Mm. And it really did. Uh, Brianna had written the review and I agreed with so much of what she said. I do think that um, even, especially when you're doing elements, uh, there's, there's outdoor monologues. Um, there's considerations around the whole cast had this kind of Transylvanian accent. Or I, I wasn't exactly sure. Sometimes it sounded sort of, it just morphed a bit more than was helpful. And that led to not only inconsistencies in terms of performances, but just understanding the dialogue. And especially then when you do have scenes and monologues that are outdoors and the 110 freeway is just a stone's throw. And so there are things that I think that they really needed to streamline the story. It was way too long. Um, I thought Brianna made a great point about, um, again, the in-between spaces. And so as you're moving between these historical homes that have more intimate scenes in, which is great, but it was, again, kind of these dead spaces in between. And so it felt like the show wasn't cohesive in that way. I think they really needed to trim and ditch the accents and... um, yeah, because I mean, wasn't I mean Brianna reported back it was like what three two and a half three hours long? It was three really? hours when she went. I went towards the end of the run at that location, and it was about two and a half hours. And so again, like Ooh. kudos to people for 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 trying. But I think at this point, like it that it's it's just too long, and it's and it's too long for the story wasn't radically original. It's great for spooky season, but. I think that even in my Star Choir review, which is completely different than, you know, doesn't fit into a spooky season, it's just a careful consideration on how the venue is added into the narrative. It is a design element, but it is not the thing that's going to do all the heavy lifting. Yeah. Uh, I also think, like, there's there's a danger at thinking that 
you have to provide a whole evening's worth of entertainment, particularly if you're charging, you know, above, you know, high in the two figures or above the three figure mark. And the danger is you can actually wind up, you know, going too long and, and, and making people, uh, you know, peter out and like they were enjoying it and then you just overstayed your welcome. Um, Even I feel like it discourages people from, going too because i've heard it so long it's kind of like that's a big commitment for a show that like i'd maybe see if it was an hour and a half but like i don't know that i want to sit through two and a half to three hours of a show without like if it doesn't have a reason to be that long yeah because you're coming in for at least 45 minutes to an hour you know of a drive for you yeah. to see that show from where you are and that's you know the nature of los angeles but like that th- people this is we talk about this in, in the general because like this idea of like how big should something be, how long should be, what what's the value proposition here and time people can go like, you know, oh, we'll extend the time, we'll make it bigger. Or we want to tell more story and and less can be a lot more. Uh is just my yeah. my general bit of advice there for everyone. Yep. Um Laura, any any last words on this uh these two before we let you escape before we talk about Angel of Light so we don't spoil it for you? Uh no, I mean, I think that, I mean, I think there's always more to say, but, but I, I'm going to stop yes. there. Okay. Well, cool. Laura, I'm going to stop us down here in a second. We're recording. We're going to hear like the, the, the mechanics of it all, but else this will stay in the thing. Laura, thank you for joining us and, and, and sharing, uh, you know, squirrel mode and everything. Uh, I am now signed up for when you and Kevin do reign of terror next year for certain. And, uh, I need to go holler at uh, one of my, my buddies to go do uh, reign of terror this year. Yeah. And we're debating about doing reign of terror as the dark mode. Cause there's also lights on yes. and lights off. And so we have to coordinate oh. because there's multiple, it's not just going back to reign of terror. It's do we go back to reign of terror and do lights off or like I, how much, do, how far do we go into reign well, of also, terror? Also Laura, if you want to go to the home haunts around Magnolia park, uh, that, that are coming up soon, uh, like maybe we should talk. Cause like, uh, I, I finally need to go stand in line for some of these things that are in people's yards. Cause I watched them build them all, all late summer and fall long as I walk around that neighborhood on the weekends. And I just, I, I think I've, I've teased I will myself do too it. much. Okay. I will do it. Yeah. Okay, we should go check that out. All right, Laura, thank you for your service. <laughs> and uh, everyone else, uh, hold on to your horses because we're going to be uh, still here uh, on a single blip. We're going to go a lot quicker than we thought because uh, we got to get Martine over to the Postal Service, uh, amongst other things, uh, at the Bowl. Uh, and then Kevin and I might stick around and yabber. Angel of Light. Uh, we were there uh, We were there on the same night, Martine. Uh, and, I think and Kevin's, so, yeah. Kevin's not going to go. Um, I, I want to put this caveat. Of, so I'm going to do the real quick rundown of this thing. Uh, the show is at the Los Angeles theater uh, in downtown LA. It is one of the historic movie theaters slash performance spaces in Los Angeles. It is a gorgeous building that I've had the privilege of being in before for E3 events. So 
uh, for a lot of people, it is their first time inside this building, and that that is definitely worth a chunk of the admission ticket if you've never been inside the Los Angeles. Uh, that definitely adds to value. Of course, if you've been in Los Angeles before, it means like I cannot be impressed by the thing because I know what I'm expecting. I only want to see how you use it. The structure of this one's interesting in that uh, it is, and the purpose of this one, this is by all accounts a kind of prequel slash pitch for a a movie story that they want to tell uh, that is part of uh, a proposed horror anthology series that's going to be called Hex. Uh, it's put on by some folks, uh, I believe, uh, Odeon, I think is the name of the, the the physical production company. And then Parma Pictures are the people who are doing the film thing. And all of it's being, uh, you know, produced, you know, and sold by by Fever, right? So, like, that's, that's kind of the players uh, engaged here. The exact configuration, not too certain about. The story is about... Uh, a young woman who's, uh, you know, a, a rising star in like 1920s, 1930s, old school Hollywood. Uh, and th- her premiere night when something goes absolutely horrible and something from beyond this world enters into ours uh, in a kind of destructive moment, all of which is tied to her voice. Uh, and the way it is... Uh, manifested is through two mazes uh, that are on either side of a lobby lounge area that has a, a bar. And on the night we were there had a, had a press VIP bar, which might actually be open to VIP people at other times. Uh, and that lobby mid lobby area also has a couple of uh, little spooky rooms there's like a vignette in one room that involves some like circus freak type people there's some actors standing in phone booths being weird there's actors kind of trolling around uh many of them with like uh looks like to be blood dripping out of their ears or blood that had dried dripping out of their ears uh who have you know a a couple of lines that they repeat uh so these are atmospheric characters and then you queue up into another line which has some video stuff going on and then you go into the second maze which takes you through the backstage areas of the uh of the venue um and then finally into the mid-mezzanine lobby where you wait a bit and then go into the theater proper where there is a stage show that starts out firmly in the 19. 20s vibe uh, although it's all pre-recorded music uh, and then has some very heavy strobing that happens as uh, the show turns into a kind of neo cabaret 80s music video slash giant demonic video screen spectacle uh, yeah. and then, and then you're popped out and encouraged to take photos, uh, on, on the, you know, step and repeat, at least the night we were there, maybe it's still there, maybe it's not, but like advertise up and then, uh, one more bar you can maybe hit up along the way, uh, or you can hit the bar up on the way out and then it's like, bye-bye, you're done. Um, and generally so far, like, you know, we had a very weird time when I went with my group, uh, 
the one of the people I was with uh, started laughing after the first maze because they they thought that was the whole show, uh, and then we proceeded to be in that mid lobby area for about thirty minutes because it was really unclear as to where we were supposed to go next. So like we were like, what the hell is going on? And then once we finally did get in there, uh, there was one bit where like the catering guys we had to wait for the catering guys to pass us because like that was cutting across like the line that was really funny actually and then we went down a squeezy hallway i don't know why there was a squeezy hallway but we went down a squeezy hallway and then we're climbing up through the back area and it was this weird mix where there'd be interesting stuff going on but it was like the lights were on for all of it so there was no atmospherics really until you got into rooms where the the lighting was naturally a little bit more dim uh, but then all these points where you would just step outside of the maze part and just be in like just undecorated, you know, back like, of house. Like a weird alley at one point, quite literally. Like you literally, you go into the alley and you got to walk up the way, and there was nothing going on in the alley. You just yeah. smell like the rendered fat from next door, right? You know, like and and the they garbage. Did have a little bit of audio going, but not much. Yeah, and and the squeezy hallway. Uh, I think was why there was giant ducting uh, through the hallways, uh, which was going down to that squeezy tunnel thing, right? Where they you blow up two big like balloon setups in order to squish people. But in order to do that, you have to have something that's pumping the air in. And so they strung that out through the entire backstage maze. And that became kind of the definitive visual element was like this piece of infrastructure for a gag that, thematically didn't seem to be doing anything so there were just these really can these moments where there was this incredible production design and then just it felt like someone had forgot to keep sketching like you know that that picture of like a horse that's like you know that you see sometimes where it's like fully defined on one side and the middle is kind of sketchy and the end is just like you know just pencil like child it felt like that were these absolutely beautiful moments of incredible production design that were then just like like someone had ADHD and had walked off mid-production. And, and, and the thing about the, about Angel of Light is that the fact that even the story, right? Like you were in that opening in the lobby and how they were explaining the narrative, uh, setting up the narrative, not explaining, but setting up the narrative. Like, oh, you're here to see this and we're all dressed like ushers and this is a good creepy vibe. And then yeah. the the fact that then the ne- that that first maze like okay and now I'm in a Romanian church for no reason at all yeah and then yeah. like um and then you get you get to the lot like then you go through that maze and then you end the maze in the giant room with all video wall around you and okay I'm seeing thunder and lightning. Why oh yeah, it? I for, I keep forgetting about that. It's a really expensive video wall set up before you go into the last thing, and you're like, "Why is this here?" And we weren't corralled; we weren't made to watch anything. It was just like all we we were just like allowed to just like walk right through. And it was yeah. like I don't know, I don't know why we were there. And well, like, and right before that, there were some really creepy rooms. There was like there was like a couple of really genuinely creepy, disturbing moments, and then just nope, eh, video wall. Yeah, like like it it. it, it it was a so stop and start and so stuttery mm-hmm. of yeah. things that, that, that I, I left very like I because I think I texted you that like I'm going through this right now and so far I'm impressed. And then that was before I went hit the bedroom. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Yeah, you were behind me. So like you said that I was like, I'll, I was like, I'll talk to you afterwards, right? You <laughs> well, know. And then I just bugged buggered out to go see the wombats and the bellwether afterwards. Um but like the mid bar was actually like the side server was cool. The fun thing was like a really nice touch was the telephones. If you pick them up, they all had audio content coming down the telephones in the telephone booths. Oh cool. Um, I didn't I didn't yeah. get to do that. But that's yeah, like, yeah there, there was this it was it was so just fractured because there'd be these moments where you're like oh this is cool this is rad this is like that first maze was genuinely kind of creepy there were a couple of production issues where they had to hold hold us up and i was like oh that's unfortunate because i was getting into the vibe but then the whole thing had the same issue where like they raise the vibe and you start to like feel some dread and then it's just like oh yeah we were trying to scare you a minute ago weren't we and you're like what why did you stop right you know it's like i don't know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and, then, and then the final sit-down show was just so weird. I'm like, oh, this does make this makes absolutely zero sense at all. Like, I, I, I started laughing. I was laughing. And, and, like, again, um, in my regular job, I'm a sound guy, so I was impressed sonically um, with all the sound just washing over me with strobe lights, but. I could do that in my own apartment if I wanted to. Yeah. I mean, there's this moment where at the beginning where you walk in and it's just like, oh, they have dressed this space up and like they've like set, they had set it in such a way that it felt, it felt weird and wrong in a good way. Right. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, like, oh, something bad is going to happen here. Okay, cool. Right. But then they had like actors in the hall, in the, in the aisle who were like, oh, I'm being disturbing. And it's like, okay, but like the, again, a little bit of the timed corpse factor. It's like, you know, Knotts likes to put a, a, a little freak out, uh, you know, into space before the narrative really calls for it. And this sort of did the same thing where it's like, you know, these little freak ushers uh, who were like, you know, just trying to disturb people but before the demon was summoned. So it's just one of those things where it's like, this doesn't make sense. Like these people, these are the right people to have in this space at some point, but like not now, like, like have them be who are chasing you out, like have them be normal ushers before and then have them put like weird bags over their heads. Like afterwards, like it's like, it's like all the, almost like all of the ingredients were, were there to do this. Right. And they just couldn't figure out which order to place, you know, like, or they had like baking soda instead of baking powder, right? Yeah. Like it was one of those things where it's like, I, nope, I got, I bought the wrong one, but maybe it'll work. That's the sort of feeling on Angel of Light for me. And, and, and maybe the biggest disappointment of the season, because we want there to be a big successful indie or semi-indie weird haunt in the middle of downtown LA. Like that is maybe our number one ask. And yeah. It's but, a block away from my apartment. I was able to stumble over there and and check it out. And like, again, the marketing is right there in your face on all the oh, social yeah. media channels and all that sort of stuff. And I'm like, oh, oh. yeah. A yeah, for ma- effort, C minus for execution. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, no, seriously. Seriously. Like, I think, I think yeah, it balances out like because we had such a bad flow, it felt like a D the night we went. But I think even then, like if everything was clicking, you know, we're, we're, we're maybe like in the, like a B, you know, B minus, uh, in a flawless execution night of it. Uh, and, and I think that the aesthetics and the, the conceit are really interesting. Right. You know, um, like again, 
explaining the narrative and, and doing that if the if the actors in the bar room had more of just the two weird lines and ticks uh to sort of get us into that that could be more interesting more compelling um or seeing the freak shows in those weird rooms that was fascinating but yeah. the fact there was no callbacks at all it's like okay great they just gave yeah. me success weird images I yeah of course as much as the next guy but yeah yeah like like maybe maybe there's some sort of like you know part of the story where that character is like involved with like a sideshow carnival and that's why there's clowns and really tall guys and everything like that and it'll all make sense once you see the movie like right now it just feels like an incoherent tone poem uh that 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 doesn't give me a lot of faith in the in the storytelling capabilities at hand here, which is maybe not what you want when you're trying to set up a movie franchise. Nope. Um, sorry, y'all, but that's, that's the diagnosis. Um, okay. You've got a concert to go see, which uh, I'm, I'm jealous. Yeah. Of. I should have got tickets to that thing. I really should have. I, I need to see the poster show. I was broke when those tickets went on sale though. So um, I still am. If you want to bugger over there. Yeah, I'm still broke though. So <laughs> I may be traveling the planet, but it's only because people are paying for me to do so. All right. Uh, Kevin, stick around. Uh, there'll be another, like, another like music sting for everybody because otherwise I can't cover up these weird transitions. So we'll be back in two seconds. Spooky season LA twenty. 20- 23 here kevin uh what's yeah. what's the big picture vibe from your point of view i don't know i guess i was gonna come to this and complain that there wasn't like we have a lot of haunt stuff but not a lot of immersion stuff which isn't exactly true because we have fangs and angel of light i i sure there's more stuff that seemed stronger there was a there was a mm. run there where spookies in la is like you had good haunt stuff and you had good immersive stuff and it was like you could fill six weeks pretty easy with just like going to like good shit yeah and it doesn't feel like you can do that anymore and it's like i think it's i've complained about it before is like immersive in la seems like it's kind of in a weird spot like yeah i mean like look we we know that a big chunk of it is just like the physical infrastructure right like we've never fully recovered from ghost ship and the changes in the in the permits right we get into some really the sad thing is is the reason why things aren't going so hot is for some really boring reasons permitting and rents right we are at the mercy of uh, the city bureaucracy and landlords are the two major factors that said uh i i do want to point out like you know and some of that's because some of some of the core players right so jfi didn't do um you know creep this year but they did the willows and stuff yeah so like that that's sort of missing from from the firmament you know there's a lot of stuff we didn't cover uh, in this ep- episode. Like there's a lot of stuff. Thirteenth floor has like you know, you know, uh, you, uh, Shacktober's replaced uh, Dark um, oh Harbor. My God, Dark Harbor, uh, you know, which is which is a, a decidedly different turn. You know, there's there's other stuff that's under the thirteenth floor brand right now uh, that's that's up and running and, and is and is in the mix. And then you have, you know, some of like the folks that we really love like E3W productions and a few others who aren't that being said, E3W just announced, uh, you know, they're part of the people who did all of them, witches at the overlook. They're coming back in late November. Uh, I just saw it. that. I got really excited. 
Yeah. Right. And then uh, it's not horror, but, you know, Josh Randall of Blackout is doing a two man Romeo and Juliet in an abandoned nightclub uh, that's running, you know, through the back end of of the season and into uh, the top of November, uh, which, you know, that's that's a little complicated. And there's there's a bunch of like weird stuff. There's something called Club 27, which is about or which is about like the 27 Club, right? Like all the musicians who died when they were 27. I don't know too much about that. And there's a few other groups that are kind of like emerging, right? So like I think that we're finally starting to see people play again. Uh, and that's exciting. We didn't talk about Forces of Nature, uh, their 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 show at the top of the haunt season because they ran that in early September, and that was like you know that felt like the family friendly version of mm. like uh, of a Zombie Joe's type show, you know, or Zombie Joe's Maze, not a Zombie Joe's show. Um, and so there's 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 little things going on here and there. So I think there's actually some vibrancy coming back into the mode, and people willing to experiment again. But it is hard for folks to scale up past something that might be able to happen in a storefront theater yeah. or, or they have to be like way out at the edge of LA proper because they can't secure, you know, a location in the heart of Los Angeles, which is you know very, very expensive to do. Yeah, for sure. And I think, yeah, I just feel like there's not that like big kind of ticket item that was like, oh, this is like the one and everyone kind of like hits that one. I, maybe angel light will actually end up being that it seems like that's got some, kind of momentum i, th- I think that one i mean they got it, it was it was marketed and there's a lot of people who responded pretty positively to it right yeah. you know or like or moderately positively to it and i think those are folks who are like impressed by the production value right you know and there's a, there's a lot of there's clearly a lot of money i mean there's a boatload of actors in that thing i think there's like 70 people who work on the thing Whoa. like it's a ridiculous number of human beings involved just one of the reasons that's what's frustrating about it is like you can see there's a lot of money involved uh, but there isn't a lot of focus and 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 that's what's frustrating about that piece is that you know in in slightly sure hands on on the narrative side it could be a barn burner and be something I think that is a thing where you tell people like, no, 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 you got to go see Angel of Light and become a perennial, mm-hmm. right? You know, because that that's long when the dream that we have like, you know, four or five of these things running at once. And we're, we're still not quite there yet, but people are starting to take swings, which I think is what's exciting to me. Yeah, and I guess you should just like appreciate that. And then I wonder too, Laura kind of mentioned it, is like Spooky's actually gets really like, expensive in LA to like kind of do all these mm-hmm. things and do things for more than if you're a couple or you want to go with some friends, it's like the stuff gets can add up really quickly to make sure you're not waiting in lines for six hours every night or whatever. It's like between universal horror nights and uh, uh scary farm and these other ones, but you can easily get up to like 500 to $600 a person pretty easily which is not doesn't i guess leave a lot of room for this other stuff in addition no. to like hauling your ass all up and down la and everything that entails with drive times and freeways and all that shit too so um yeah i don't know yeah i mean that's that's a massive part of it right is like the economy this this is a sad thing right is like, i think this is one of the things where it doesn't necessarily ameliorate our problem to know that like oh no we've we've got it bad like everybody else right like this isn't an us problem this is a america problem uh but largely it's an america problem 
uh, things are more expensive, things are harder to do, you know, and, and, you know, you, you want, you want people to get paid properly. You want things to be yeah. safe. You know, you want, you want there to be an upside for the makers. So they keep on making the stuff and the squeeze keeps on coming and, and the squeeze is coming for everybody. And, you know, people who aren't incredibly rich don't have like a lot of disposable income to like mm. go do these things. And, and that is definitely the biggest macroeconomic problem. Right. You know, cause people go like, Oh, we need more throughput. But then you get to the point where like, yeah, we need more throughput to make money, but the people, but there aren't people with enough money to match the throughput, right. thing. or you have to skimp and like, yeah, someone spent like a gajillion dollars on their fast passes for the, the two theme parks like you or the three theme parks like you mentioned and then suddenly you know well i can't go see this indie horror thing because i don't have any money left right or even like i think or when the actors we paid obviously like the willows is a smaller show but 200 dollars is a big is a big lift for that especially if you've seen it before it's kind of like that's it's hard to do that and then you know we also know we know some things. people who go see it like three four times yeah. a year right you know and and i think it's just yeah if that's like your only like I'm just gonna do the willows three times, I I love it and it's around, I think that's one thing. But yeah, that's it's it's pricey. And I think it's just kind of like if I have to put my money in like it's gonna go somewhere where it's like I'm seeing something new or at least newer for that space. I obviously dots, horror nights, they recycle mazes and kind of reuse things, but those tend to be more like group activities too, where it's easier to get by and be like, Hey, you wanna go to haunted maze versus you're gonna spend two hours like a weird family as much as that's like catnip for the uh, immersive heads out there, it's maybe a little bit less of a draw for people who are like, eh, I can go to, I go to Horror Nights. I know what Horror Nights is. Yeah. Well, what I think, I think was something like, you know, to Laura's point about like the Willows feeling like a perennial, right? Like I think they're coming up on their 700th show over the years. Wow. Right? Really? Yeah. Like they've run it a lot. Uh, I think I overheard that the other day. Maybe I'm getting it wrong, but they have been running this thing for years, right? Yeah. There, was, there was a couple of years where they weren't running during spooky season. They were doing like two shows a night on at certain points of time. So like, like April, which is nice. nice yeah. And April it was, plug. and it was, but of course, you know, they, they backed away from that in part because they couldn't do two shows a night in, yeah. in those times a year because like the way the sun works, you know, like that pesky sun doesn't allow us to do spooky things in spring. Um, and so you, I just, I keep on thinking about, cause I've been thinking about this in terms of like, you know, what star cruiser cost and like, mm -hmm. you know, like things being so expensive and, and yeah, like there's, there's a lot of class issues like, you know, work worked into this. I think about how much a weekend at Coachella costs. I've been thinking a lot about what tickets to see you two at the sphere in Vegas cost. And like some of the packages on that thing are like hotel plus the show it's $1,500. Yeah. For night. And like $1,500 was what it cost to go to Star Cruiser for like two nights and two and a half days. Right. So again, we're running up into these, you know, these calculations of it's possible to sustain some of this work just in audiences that are incredibly well off. And that's enough to, to, to do the trick. And then for the folks for whom maybe this is the one big thing they do in the year, because some of those folks who are incredibly well off can spend so much money, you could see people for whom like some of this stuff is just aspirational get priced out of the market entirely. Yeah. And and suddenly like this is not, you know, a, a mass form 
while at the same time we're talking about runs that have like incredibly small throughputs so you know there there's a there's a there's a balance point here it's not necessarily the balance point we're all going to be comfortable with uh but there but there might be a sustainable balance point and i think it's made the thing of having the mix of kind of like the premium experiences versus ones that are a little bit more accessible to people at a more normal affordable ticket price where it's like okay i can do like a big ticket thing and then i can do three things that are like i mean urban death is what like 20 bucks at zju or whatever yeah you can find a couple of those things and i cut like one big thing a season or even just i i mean immersive throughout the year that like is a little bit more affordable and kind of smaller scale and i don't know where that balance lies or financially or monetarily or space wise and all of these me, factors that like make it a giant pain to put on shows. Let me double check on something because like uh let's see if I can find this just Romeo <laughs> hold on wait. I think it's like forty oh. bucks. Let me yeah. see if I got that. And, right. and and it's I think it's like forty bucks or like close to like, you know, um what? Why am I why did I have that was weird? I opened up Instagram and it opened up correctly correctly directly to a universal Halloween Horror Nights <laughs> uh, stories filter. What I'm trying listening, to do is look up a message that Josh Randall sent me, uh, which has the link to <laughs> to his <laughs> to his show. Um, uh, bop, 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 bop. This is very long, so there we go. Uh, yeah, the tickets on this one are um, yeah. Click here to buy tickets. Click it. Sorry, everybody, you were going through the whole thing of like it's so long. Yeah, thirty dollars plus uh, five dollars and seventy five cents worth of. Um, fees right yeah so um you know like under 40 bucks again for a show that is about 40 minutes long right back to the dollar a minute formulation um from the old days uh and i would say you know i saw i saw the two dress rehearsals of that uh the two different versions of the show and i would say it's worth it you know it's it's really great performances um you know but again that's not a spooky season thing even though it's happening right now so um it's it's Interesting times, but I think we're seeing a lot of green shoots, uh, both in terms of how many people are swinging here in Los Angeles, which is exciting, uh, and hopefully some of it winds up being like really solid. And then there are, you know, interesting things happening in Las Vegas. Like just right before we recorded this, I put up the press release because uh, Particle Ink Speed of Dark is going to have a, a long, you know, it's going to the Luxor. It's going to be at one of the casinos. And I know there's more shows headed to Vegas. I know there's more shows headed all around. So, uh, you know, we're, well, we're far. I think Horror Nights has their year, like, yeah. year-round installation coming. Horror Unleashed, they just announced the name of it today, too. I saw that somewhere. Um, that's going to Vegas, too, So, which I guess is not far for the L.A. folks. No. So like there's there's a there's a lot there's a lot going on just like yeah Los Angeles the the two things we need to fix here are the permitting regime and uh, and the landlord situation um, and uh, both are not easy <laughs> not easy to fix. Stay uh, tuned for our LA uh, county politics. Yeah, seriously. Uh, for, for those who really want to know, you can ask me, but I don't want to. I don't want to drive everyone else nuts. But actually, what it would be interesting for those who aren't here in the Southland, and hopefully some people haven't totally tuned out yet. If you have similar problems in your neck of the woods, let us know about them because actually there may be things that we can all learn from each other, uh, or some some kind of cross 
regional strategies we can help people uh, people use in order to like you know leverage the fear that regions often have of each other getting a leg up on on their rivals to maybe do some good for all of us making making strange strange experiences all right on that note kevin anything else before i let you get off to your night no i think that's been a been a lot of a lot of spooky season talk a lot yeah i know good I have no idea how long this episode is now because uh, we've recorded in like four parts. So uh, we'll, we'll like find an out hour thirty ish. We'll see. I Let's think see. so. Yeah, we'll find out when I put it together. All right, man. Have a good night. You too. Chat later. Once again, want to thank Kevin, Laura, and Martine for being on the show this week. Hey, look, you got tons of me in this one, so uh, let's just get out of here. It has uh, been an hour and 42 minutes uh, of a podcast. Uh, let's do the credits, seriously. Uh, associate producer for No Persinium is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society and Solar the Podcast. Special thanks to Siobhan Lachlan for voicing our intro, and the podcast is written edited hosted blah blah by me i'm noah nelson we will talk to you in about two weeks when we come back with the no pro live that we recorded at the roguelike this past week and then uh onward and over and upward uh, through the rest of the year uh it's it's gonna be busy and exciting and uh filled with travel so until next time i'll see you at the show (laughs) 